The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll look at verse 19 through 22 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm a quote guy. Some of you know that about me. I love good quotes. And Brother Browning shared a great quote with me one time. Abraham Lincoln once said, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> now, believe it or not, that joke actually falls in line with the sermon text this morning. I hope that we all know that you can't believe everything you read, everything you hear, whether that be from the internet, from the media, from the government, from books, from your friends and family, from teachers, even preachers. You can't believe everything you hear because sometimes people make unintentional errors or innocent mistakes. Sometimes people have agendas. Sometimes people flat out lie. So should we guard ourselves from that by never believing anything we hear? No, because what would be the danger then? What would happen if we built this impenetrable wall around our hearts to where we never believed anything that we ever read or heard? Well, obviously that would mean that we never accepted truth either. We'd be blocking out everything, including good things that we need. That would be an overreaction. It would be that, an example of our phrase, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So what do we do? Sort of the same thing you do when you make pasta. Sorry to bring up carbs right before lunchtime, but when you have a pot of pasta boiling, what do you do when it's finished? You strain it, right? You take that pot, you put the water and the noodles in, the, in this strainer, in this filter, so that the water that you don't want on your plate goes through, but you keep the good tortellinis. We need to take the information that we hear and we read and strain it, filter it, so to speak. And specifically for us in, in the context of, of church and in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's what we hear and read and learn about God and spiritual things. We need to make sure that we're receiving truth so that the Holy Spirit can work with that. So that we can grow and mature. But at the same time, we want to ensure that we're not taking in the wrong information. So the focus this morning is instead of going to the extremes of skepticism, believing nothing, and naive gullibility, believing everything, we want to test what we hear by God's standard, which is His Word, and then keep the good and leave the bad. Look at verse 19 through 22 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 
similar to the verses we looked at last week about being joyful, prayerful, and thankful. We have some more sort of rapid-fire statements, some rapid-fire commands here. And if you remember from last week, those commands have this continual, habitual, ongoing uh, nature, and the same is true here. And just like those last week, these fit together. These make perfect sense when we read them in context. And the very first one in verse 19 is, is a continual prohibition. Quench not the Spirit. The Spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit, not your own spirit. Sometimes we need to quench our spirits. This is the Holy Spirit. And probably your translation shows that by capitalizing the letter S. Quench not the Spirit. Several times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit and His work are described in terms of fire. You remember John the Baptist said about Jesus? John said, I, I baptize with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit empowered the church, Luke said, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so having this fire imagery is not uncommon with the Spirit. Paul keeps it going here. He uses a word for putting out a fire, quench or extinguish. And that's literally what the word means. It means to put out a fire, to stop the burning. Figuratively, the idea of this word is suppressing some type of influence. And that's the idea of the word here. Okay, don't get the wrong idea and think that quenching the Spirit means you somehow kill the Spirit of God. That's impossible. You cannot kill the Spirit of God. That's not what Paul meant. What you can do is stifle and suppress his work. You can smother his influence in your life or maybe in the life of someone else. And that's what Paul prohibits us from ever doing. Never extinguish the Holy Spirit's influence. You say, well, how is that done anyway? Well, just think about a fire. A fire can be put out in a few different ways. We have some firefighters and former firefighters in our, in our congregation. You can throw water on a fire, throw dirt on it, smother it with a blanket. Sometimes fires just die out because there's no fuel added to it. And there may be several ways to quench the Spirit. Willfully sinning, ignoring the Bible's call to sanctification that, that Paul has given this, this very group of people, ignoring the convictions of the Holy Spirit. But in this context, one of, if not the major way, we can stifle the influence of God's Spirit is to disregard and reject prophecies. That's exactly what verse 20 says. Despise not prophesyings. The word despise, it comes from a very intense word that basically means you think, you think something is worthless. It's got no value to you. It's useless. And we can describe that with a lot of English words. Despise, reject, disdain, scorn, treat with contempt. All of those could be used to translate this word. We should never view prophecies with that attitude. I don't need that. That's useless. If we do that, it will quench the Spirit's work. 
because we're not receiving his word like we should. For the first century Thessalonians, this could refer specifically to what we call the gift of prophesying, which was one of those miraculous spiritual gifts that the early churches possessed before the New Testament was completed. The Thessalonians didn't have the full Bible like we do. They didn't have the New Testament yet. Paul's writing part of it to them, right? Well, one way God revealed truth during that stage of history was still through direct prophecy, direct revelation. Some people had this gift. And so if one of their members, or even a traveling Christian missionary like Paul or like Timothy, if they came through their city and their assembly with a prophecy direct from God, they did not need to despise that and reject it and brush it aside as useless and worthless. How could the Holy Spirit convict their hearts and work with a message that's rejected? Think about what if they would have done that with Paul's initial preaching of the gospel? So that's one application for them is with the gift of, of prophecy, but the truth isn't limited to this being necessarily a gift of prophecy. It can definitely be wider than that. It could be any word from God. That's what a prophecy is. A prophecy is a word from God. Often it's associated with predicting future events, right? But it doesn't have to be that. It can be a warning, a revelation from God. It can be bringing some truth to light that God wants the people to know. Just think about what the Thessalonians would soon receive when Paul finishes writing this letter. They're going to receive the letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. They didn't need to toss it in the trash. It was prophecy. It was a revelation from God, and it does contain some of those future prophecies that we tend to think of when we hear the word prophecy. When a genuine word from God is despised and rejected, the work of God's Spirit through that word is suppressed. You didn't kill God's Spirit, but you stifled His influence. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But the reverse could also be true, right? If the Thessalonians accepted every message they heard because they were worried they might reject something from God, if they accepted false messages, that would also stifle the Spirit's work too. Because the Holy Spirit never works with a message that is contrary to the truth. Never. And so what are the Thessalonians supposed to do? Well, look at verse 21 and 22 again. They, they need one of those strainers, I guess we would say. They need to test everything. Verse 21 says, prove all things. The word prove does not mean that they're to take anything they ever hear, any and all teaching, and somehow find a way to prove that true. That's not what the word prove means here. It's not that twist this to make it sound good somehow, even if it's way off. That's not what the word means. The word literally means to test or to examine. If you look back at chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul used this, uh, this word twice in that verse, and it's translated different ways. Look at, look at 
chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul says, But as we were allowed of God, there's one use of the word, allowed, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth, there's that word again, trieth our heart. So it's translated allowed or approved, your translation may say, and then tries or tests or examine. And that's the idea of the word. It refers to an examination or a test, even with the nuance that a good outcome is expected. The anticipation is that it will pass the test. It's interesting that this word is never used in the Bible in connection with Satan. Satan wants you to fail. God wants you to succeed. So if we carry that into chapter 5 in our text this morning, when the Thessalonians heard there was a prophetic message, when they hear this is a message from God, they were to test that, even with the anticipation that it would pass the test. I mean, it, the, the messenger claims it's from God. It seems to be something he's passionate about and, and cares about. And you definitely don't want to miss out on that and quench the Spirit's work. But how do you go about testing all things? Paul doesn't go into detail here, does he? He just says, prove all things. Sort of assumes they know how to do it, apparently. There's maybe two answers here. They're both good and they're both true. One method of their testing all things relates back to the miraculous spiritual gifts. Some people in the uh, early church uh, period were gift with what we call the gift of discernment. So perhaps there were some members in Thessalonica who had been graced with this gift and they needed to step up and, and use it for the benefit of the whole. They had some spiritual insight, some special discernment, and they were able to tell whether or not a prophecy was genuine or not, whether or not it was authentic. And that's applicable here but it's definitely not the only way to apply it. One author said this, certain individuals did have the special ability to discern the spirits, yet all Christians have the responsibility to practice discernment in spiritual matters. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Even without the miraculous spiritual gift of discernment, you can test all things. Look at Deuteronomy 18, and we're going to, obviously we're going back to the Old Testament, and this is going to be a few directions that God gave the nation of Israel as to how they were to determine if a prophet was true or false. So look at Deuteronomy 18, look at verse 21. If thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word? which the Lord hath not spoken. If it's not truly from God, how are we going to know about it if the man claims it's from God? Verse 22. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. That's pretty simple, right? If someone came to the nation of Israel... Or if they were, they were from the nation of Israel and they rose up and they said, I'm a prophet, God has called me, he's revealed something to me, and here's my prediction, and it doesn't come to pass, he's a liar. The Israelites didn't have to listen to that man. He's making it up, you don't have to fear him. 
But look over at Deuteronomy 13. And this is important too. Because watching the outcome of predictions was not the only safeguard they had. Because think, think with me. Someone could make an obvious prediction, right? And then they can say anything they want and the prediction is going to come to pass. Or maybe they, maybe they do say something outlandish and they get lucky, you know, and it happened. What do you do with that? We look at Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. In this section of the law, it's sort of the reverse if the man came forward with a message from God and his prediction comes true, you can still determine whether or not he's a false prophet if his message goes against previously accepted revelations. The Israelites already knew that Yahweh, the true God, the one who delivered them from Egypt, was the only God they were ever to serve. All the other so-called gods aren't gods anyway. So even if a man makes a prediction and he gave a sign and it happened, but his message involves something contrary to what God had already revealed to them, especially going after false gods like Baal or Dagon or some other idol, you don't have to accept him at all. He's not a genuine prophet. His message did not match truths they already knew. Here's a silly but easy illustration. What if I said I have a revelation from God? God spoke to me this morning. He, he told me something that he wants you to know. He never wants you to come to church again. He told me that. And I'll prove it. I'm going to give you a sign. If God told me that, tomorrow will be Monday. That's how you'll know that I'm truly sent from God. Well, my sign will come true, won't it? But how do you know that I'm full of junk? Because my message goes against previously accepted truths. My message is contrary to what you know the Bible teaches. You know God wants you to serve Him faithfully and be faithful to church. That's established. So it doesn't matter if my sign comes true. I'm wrong. And the Thessalonians could test things out like that as well, similar to the Israelites. If they heard a message, even without the miraculous gift of discernment, if they heard a message and it went against the gospel that Paul preached to them when he was in the city, even if the man was doing miraculous signs, they didn't need a part of that. Don't believe that. So they can test things through the gift of discernment. They could test things through established truths they already knew. And after they did that, after they examined the message, the prophecy, if it passes the test of truly being from God, 
Back in 1 Thessalonians 5 now, Paul said receive it, accept it, you cling to it. He said, hold fast that which is good. The word hold fast in this context is, is used figuratively. You can't literally hold on to a teaching. It's an intangible thing, but you can believe it. You can, you can keep it on your mind. You can keep it, we might say, keep it close to your heart. You can follow it. When you hold fast to God's truths, the Holy Spirit can work in your life. Then the Holy Spirit can guide you and lead you. Look back at Acts 16. Perhaps one of the best examples of this in Scripture is, is actually the city Paul went to as soon as he left Thessalonica. It's with the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, they are a wonderful example of this thing. Look at verse 10 through 12. Acts 17, 10. And the brethren, that's those of Thessalonica, immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So the Bereans received this message from Paul that claimed to be from God. Paul said, I'm telling you the truth. God has sent me here to teach this to you. So they received it with readiness, but they didn't just believe it without checking it out, right? And they searched the scriptures. Guess what happened then? Look at verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Not a few means a lot. The Bereans eagerly heard Paul, but they didn't accept it as truth. They didn't hold fast to it until they had tested it against the Old Testament scriptures. They looked at those teachings that were established to see if what Paul was teaching about the Christ actually matched what they knew. Maybe it challenged what they thought, but was it what was written? Yes, it was. And so they believed. When they found out that it did, they held fast to it. But what if the Thessalonians, they test some prophecy out, they test out some message, claims to be from God, and it doesn't pass the test? Right? What if one of their members that has the gift of discernment speaks up and says, this is not right? Or what if they just understand that this goes against the gospel? What should they do with that prophecy? It claims to be from God and we don't want to quench the Spirit. If it doesn't pass the test, Paul said at the, in verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. This verse has probably been taken out of context quite a bit uh, throughout, throughout history. It does not mean that we need to stay away from anything that even remotely looks evil. If anybody could possibly take out of context what I'm doing here, then I better not do that. That's not what this verse teaches. Now, don't misunderstand, it's probably good wisdom to not be involved in things that do appear evil, but that's not what this is talking about. In the context, it's the opposite of holding fast to what is good. 
So it teaches that when some prophecy comes claiming to be from God and it's tested, but it fails the test, we don't want any part of that. And it's really picturesque here the way Paul wrote it that we don't really catch in English. But in verse 22, that word abstain is actually from the same word that hold fast is from in verse 21. And I know they're very different, but they're from the same root word. And so the idea is essentially this. You test this message. If it's good, you hold on to it. If it's bad, you hold yourself away from it. It's like the Heisman pose. Tuck the football, but give the stiff arm. Okay? That's the idea here. And that's exactly what Christians must do when we filter and strain information about God. You hold fast to the good and hold yourselves far away from evil. And yes, things that claim to be from God but are not are evil. That may not be PC to say, but it's true. And it shouldn't surprise us that the devil has tried and continues to try to blur the truth in many different ways. One author said it this way, believers need to remember that wherever the Spirit of God is at work, the devil will seek to introduce confusion. Do you think the devil is going to sit back and let God's Spirit work in your life? With <laughs> Peter said the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, may devour. And the devil's confusion and his lies can come in many different forms, many different appearances, but they're all evil. The devil does a good job at disguising it, modernizing it, adapting it to make it fit with a certain culture or a certain society, whatever he has to do to make it look more attractive. But Paul said, you abstain from all appearance of evil. Say, well, how do we do that today? How do I do that individually or as a church? It sounds great, but how do I know if the influence is truly from God's Spirit or not? You know, maybe it's not conviction. Maybe it's just bad indigestion. How do I know that? How do I know it's not the devil trying to lead me astray with some truth that's disguised from, you know, as being from God? I don't have miraculous spiritual gifts anymore, Brother Matt. I don't have the gift of discernment. So what's my strainer? What's my filter? It's just right here. We test everything we hear against the Word of God. The Bible is established truth. It is accepted teaching. It is inspired, infallible, inerrant Scripture. So, if something you hear... Maybe you've never heard it, or maybe it challenges something you thought. You shouldn't immediately dismiss it. You test it with Scripture. If it's true and you reject it, then the Spirit cannot use that truth to grow you. The Spirit can't work with that truth in your life if you say, no, that one's not for me. We need to be teachable. We've been going through Proverbs for about a year and a half now, and that's one thing on Wednesday nights that we've learned. 
Being wise does not mean that you know everything, but it does mean you are teachable. And you're definitely willing for God to teach you. So we want to be teachable, but we don't want to believe something that's wrong. So we go back to the Bereans. You take what you're hearing, you strain it with God's Word, you test it with Scripture, and see if it passes the test. If it corresponds to God's Word, then you hold to it. And you pray for God's Spirit to use that in your life, to grow that, to mature you so that you can serve Him better. Don't quench His work by rejecting His Word. If the teaching fails the test, if it contradicts something in the Bible, then you and our church need to hold ourselves back from it. And you don't have to worry about quenching the Spirit then. He's not working with that message. God's Spirit never leads contrary to the Bible. Okay, the Holy Spirit always leads in harmony with God's Word. I know the Bible says this, but I felt the Spirit leading me to do this. Nope. Sorry. The Holy Spirit, what did we read earlier in John? Earlier in the service, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. And he would, he would remind the disciples of everything Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit always leads in harmony with the Bible. And I'm going to go just a little further here and get a little bit more specific with a few applications just for, for us. First of all, since the Bible is completed and miraculous gifts have ceased... We don't receive any, and we don't need any new revelations from God. He's given us everything we need in the Bible. It is all sufficient. So, we should immediately be aware of men who claim that they have some new revelation from God. Claiming to have a new revelation goes against previous, previously accepted teachings. So beware of those teachers. And I think and I hope that we all know that. And so here's the second thing I want to mention. What may be more dangerous in your life and in our church would not so much be a man claiming to be a new prophet with new truths, but just generally the things you read and listen to and watch as you study, as you try to expand your knowledge and, and grow. Just because it's sold at Lifeway or Mardell's or on ChristianBooks.com doesn't mean it's true. Just because it pops up under the Christian suggestions on your podcasts or your TV or your YouTube or K-Love plays it, that doesn't make it right. Just because famous and published preachers say it or write, or write it doesn't mean you have to accept it. Don't believe everything you hear. Sometimes a man may write something amazingly truthful on one page, and when you flip the page, there's nothing but junk there. I have books in my library like that. You read one chapter and just, this is awesome. And the next chapter, what in the world is he saying? You know, I don't have to burn those books. but I also don't have to accept everything they say either. I need some discernment. I need to filter things through God's word. The timing of this is one of those curious things. Yesterday, 
I got an email from this daily service I subscribe to that talks about Greek. I know I'm a nerd. But this specific little clip was talking about one of the most famous and respected Greek lexical works. Some of you have heard of it. It's called the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Sometimes we call it Kittle for short because he was one of the editors that, that worked on this huge volume of, of books. And it's pretty much an unparalleled, invaluable resource for the ancient Greek language. But it was originally researched and written by German theologians who are more liberal than we are, and some of whom were Nazi sympathizers. Well, should I just join in with our cancel culture and trash these books and burn them because of that? Because I don't agree with everything that the author may have said? No. Hopefully, I can use some wisdom and some discernment and keep the good and leave the bad. And that's just an example that, that happened yesterday, even during my own study. It is good for you to read books. It's good to listen to sermons. It's good to study commentaries. I don't want you to misunderstand me. All those things are good for your spiritual growth. But the only book you can trust completely is the Bible. It's the only one you can trust 100%. So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If you don't have a pretty good grasp on biblical truth first, then you need to be really careful about what other things you're reading and listening to. Because you're probably more susceptible to being led astray. Peter talked about the false teachers preying on those who are immature Christians. The most important book you can ever read is the Bible. Everything else is supplemental. The Bible is essential. And so instead of going to the extremes of skepticism where we believe nothing or gullibility where we believe everything, let's find that, find that balance. Let's test what we hear by God's standard, which is the Bible. If it's good, you hold fast to it. If it has the stink of evil, you hold yourself away from it. The Holy Spirit doesn't work with that anyway. If you're here and you've never held fast to the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was risen for your justification and your eternal life, please do not quench the Spirit's work in your life as He convicts you of your need for a Savior and the truth of the gospel. Repent and trust Jesus while He convicts you with His truth because you don't know how many more times or how much longer the Spirit will convict you if you keep dismissing His truth. Today is the day of salvation, Paul wrote. Trust Him today. Would you stand? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the leadership and guidance of your Holy Spirit, how it always parallels your word. Lord, help us to 
test the things that we hear and what we read and what we see and look at everything through the lens of Scripture. Work powerfully among us through your Spirit, Lord, and through your Word. I pray that we do not suppress his work and help us to hold ourselves away from every evil teaching. Lord, if there's someone here today who's lost or needs to do anything in their service for you, we pray that they would follow you and have your will be done. Lord, forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.